there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello and you're very welcome to Your Politics Podcast from RT News. I'm Paul Cunningham. Joining me in studio today we have RT's political correspondent Michal Lahan and Sarkhan Urida, who is political correspondent for Nuach Tijikar. Two jobs, which means she's paid twice as much as everyone else <laughs> in the organisation. And joining us later will be um, our political coverage editor, um, David Murphy, who's going to talk to us about what on earth is happening with the UK, its fiscal strategy and what impacts might it have for Ireland, both um, from a money point of view, but also politically. Um, Mihal, if I can start with you, big budget. 11 billion. We didn't have to borrow a euro to get there. Indeed, we're going to have 2 billion heading into a little um, rainy day fund, which isn't called a rainy day fund anymore. Yeah, 2 billion this year and then 4 billion the year after. So there is money aplenty and the government strategy is to get that money to people quickly. And I think there is a sense politically uh, that things should be all right until Christmas at least, maybe up into the early weeks of the new year. But after that, uh, the real test will be just how big are those energy bills. The pacing and the timing of those energy credits, that money that comes off people's electricity bills is interesting too, given that two thirds of it, the two payments will be made after Christmas, I think that decision made uh, made a realisation that it, it will not be perhaps the next few weeks, but that period after Christmas that is going to become the difficult one for people and the difficult one for the politicians as well. Then. Tell us about that because we do know that there were one-off measures of 4.1 billion and most of that cash is going to be rattled out over the next couple of months. And then you've got the big budgetary plan, the 6.9, the usual stuff, more money for departments. Why do you think that the rubber hits the road in the new year? I think a lot of it hits the road immediately, but I think the fact that energy is the key factor underpinning the crisis, as well as rising food prices, that something had to be kept back, you feel, for, for that immediate period after Christmas. So €400 Euro makes its way out after that. But before that, there's that double payment of the state pension and welfare in October, as well as the Christmas bonus as well, which is another double payment. And then in November, there is the child benefit double payment. So a lot of money making its way out fairly quickly. As well as that, uh, there will be lump sum payments, as they're calling them, on things like the fuel allowance, €400, Euro, and the living alone allowance, €200 Euro there as well. So a lot of money uh, being freed up fairly quickly. Are you of that view as well, Sorka, that because they've got all of that cash beginning to roll out, you know, starting this month, September, or there's only a couple of days left in it, and then really kicking in come October, November, December, that that's going to cushion, to use the government's word, cushion the blow of these higher prices and that we really sort of, the, the capacity to get into a real distress is sort of pushed out into January of next year. It's hard to know, to be honest, Paul. Like One of the things that struck me was when... Um, Pascal started his speech and talking That's about the, the rate of inflation. finance minister, yes. <laughs> yes, sorry, Pascal Dunhu, yes. Minister Pascal Dunhu. But when he was talking about the rate of inflation and saying that, what, it's 8.6 or something, but when you actually take the energy fa section out of it, that it's 5, just over 5%. So I suppose that goes to show you how much, what an impact the energy is going to have. But 
none of us, well, those of us who don't have to do much driving maybe haven't really seen the extent of that yet because it's only when our heating bills and that come in that we'll see the extent of it. I'm sure people who are driving up and down the country have really felt that in their pockets in the last couple of months and they know full well the impact that this is going to have. And those businesses that we've heard of who've got astronomical electricity bills and so on back in their pockets. You know, I think there was a lot of unrest about our, our on that um, phone-in show yesterday about um, the Claire Byrne show. Yeah, 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 yeah. The complaints about the energy. Um, what are they? They're going to cover forty percent of your electricity bill. I think for businesses for business, and that. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of them seem to be very worried about that. So, understandably, uh, given some of those bills that we've seen, I mean, yeah. it was interesting. I, I thought that to a certain extent, the government was introducing a cap, an energy cap for business, this forty percent floor. But that wasn't something they were prepared to do for householders, saying that was just too risky. You couldn't know what it was going to cost, and um, so it just seemed to be a principle for business, but not the same principle applied for households. Yeah, I suppose with businesses, though, you're worried about losing jobs. And there's a lot of nervousness around, I think, about what's going to happen with jobs and so on. Like, it's such a weird scenario we're in at the moment that on the one hand, we're hearing, um, you know, when they're talking about things like health and the difficulties that they're having in recruitment and so on. And on the other hand, you know, you're hearing little bits here and there about companies who are having to shed jobs because of now there's only been, what is it, a handful to now, up mm-hmm. to now. But, you know, there is a nervousness about all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, what do you think of it? I mean, given the scale of the, the budget, Micheál Lahan, there was that whole issue whereby you might have expected a huge amount of controversy that the budget was announced and all hell was going to break loose. But in many ways... We haven't seen that. Maybe the wall of money is working for a certain amount of time. There was a couple of issues like this um, 10% levy on concrete blocks that's still purring away in the background. Yeah, it is. Even though while it has been raised politically and there is no doubt concern about it, I think the number of calls that have gone into constituency offices about this, from what I can gather, are, are fairly low. That doesn't alter the fact that politicians are aware that people building their homes are facing huge increased costs anyway. And that inevitably, if there is a 10% levy on concrete products to pay for things like the MICA scheme in Donegal and to pay for the inevitable repair works that's going to have to be done in tens of thousands, possibly 100,000 apartments, uh, that that will require funding. So as a result of that, that levy, it's seen, could add two to 4,000 to, to the build of an average home at the moment. So that is causing concern. The principle isn't being conceded by those within government. The Taoiseach yesterday, the Taunashtay again today, and Minister Dara O'Brien saying they do need a funding source. But there is some little bit of wiggle room there because people are beginning to point to the finance bill as to how this scheme exactly works. But the words from Leo Radker today were interesting that one way or another, society has to, has to pay, he said, uh, for this level. Socialising the debt. Socialising it, yeah. So I think that's, so it seems like, I don't think this is going to be uh, entirely fixed in the way that the eight or nine prominent government backbenchers that have raised it might be hoping. Yeah, I mean, do you agree with that? I mean, it was interesting to see how, like, there was an awful lot of Fianna Fáil um, members today, Thursday, we're mm-hmm. um, recording this programme, we're standing up. Willie O'Dea was one of them. We had Cahill Crow. Um, who else was there? Uh, a few others were on there. Padraig O'Sullivan. just expressing concern about it. And yet at the same time, it just doesn't have... Um, Maybe what you might have sensed, uh, um, Sarkhani Reid, there's some sense of a, of a brewing storm. You know, this looks like something they'd probably be able to fix. Yeah. 
I think that's because of what Michal alluded to there. It's not so much that they need this 80 million urgently. It's because of the principle of it, I suppose, that it's seen that, you know, the industry that produced defective blocks should be made to pay for it in some shape or form. The unfortunate thing about it, I suppose, is that it is the public who are going to have to pay for it. Our people who are building houses, our building extensions, our building yeah. buildings. Um, it, it's the people who are paying for those buildings who are going to have to pay for it at the end of the day. Because how can you how can you control the price of what a block seller is going to sell? Like you can't. They're going to set the prices. So they're going to build in that tax into the prices. And it is anyway. ultimately the householder who's going to have to pay for it. As I said, David Murphy's going to join us in two questions. But before he comes in to talk about Liz Trust and her difficulties, um, sir, can you read that you're going to be at the Fianna Fáil Ardesh this weekend? <laughs> Well, I will be going out there tomorrow in any case. Yes, I'm very excited about that, Paul. Yeah, they're expecting a big crowd and it should be an interesting Ardesh given that um, Michal Martin will be standing down as Taoiseach at the end of the year. And oh, have will to... he? <laughs> <laughs> Bet's on. Are you doubting it, Michal? <laughs> no, I think that's, that, that's one certainty that yeah. we do know, yeah. But after that? There's a reshuffle and maybe all sorts of other little uncertainties which might creep in. Maybe some ministers wondering just exactly what is going to happen to them, to their brief. Yeah, there's a lot to be done there. And of course, the government leaders did say that it would be the period after the budget that they would begin to look at that in earnest. And of course, the whole finance issue and the little mini row that took place there, as the Fine Gael side in particular, the Thánaiste, spoke out the possibility of Pascal Dunhu remaining part of the Eurozone group of finance ministers, even if he didn't hold the portfolio any any longer. So that doesn't seem that that's going to happen. Fianna Fáil have made that clear. Uh, some within that party irreverently, uh, perhaps downplaying the, the influence that someone who's chairing the Eurogroup would have would say that it is Pascal Dunahou's CV that benefits most from that. That is the most mm-hmm. non-benign view of the of the entire <laughs> of the entire thing. But I think it shows that the level of tensions. And I suppose yeah. it does raise a question if Pascal Dunu isn't finance minister, is it inevitable then that he becomes public expenditure minister? Or could he go into the Tonister's job? Is that a possibility? Yeah. Would a, a new challenge like that work there? Or be more appealing for him. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Fresh it's start. a very fluid situation. Um, Sorka, just yeah. before we, I uh, don't want to pass over the Fianna Fáil Ardesh without sort of giving it a, a, a focus um, on this podcast. One thing we do know that James Lawless is going to be bringing a paper to uh, uh, members. It's already gone through uh, the Art Coyle on the identity of Fianna Fáil, who they are, what they are, where they're going to go. To what extent do you feel that um, Fianna Fáil at the moment is happy about where it is, about what it is and its capacity to communicate with voters? I don't think they're happy about it at all. You know, if you speak to any of the backbenchers here, they're worried about where they are and the opinion polls. They're worried about the future of the party. And a lot, some of them I've spoken to are talking about how, you know, this is a very important Ardesh for them in terms of, you know, they've they've laid out a whole uh, load of um, Sprukana, Sprukana uh, <laughs> targets, you know, for the yes. party and sort of for... Um, defining the identity of the party and they're looking forward to debating that and to speaking to members of the party as well. Like you have to remember the last time they had a proper Ardesh was well before COVID. So it's been a long time before they were able to get together in a large group to discuss these issues. I think one of the things they are worried about though is the fact that because it's on in Dublin and because accommodation is so expensive in Dublin that they're worried that that's going to hit their their numbers in terms of how many people are going to be attending, you Mm. know, um, some of the Fianna Fáil TDs I was speaking to this this week who were telling me that, 
do you know, a couple of years ago, they could have got a night in Dublin for 50 euros. And now, like one of them was saying that he's paying 120 euros for a room over a pub when he comes up to, you know, up yeah. to Dublin to attend the door. So so that is an issue. And that's one thing that I know they're worried about. But yeah. um, it'll, it'll be it'll, interesting. I mean, I do know just following up. has warned them, though, about the dangers of navel gazing, didn't he? To think and how Action. the public have no great interest <laughs> in navel gazing about party identity. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think they give him 45 minutes for the slots, so they're going to lash through it fairly quickly. Yeah. But and How many pages in the, the document, which is based on the initial I, review of I the I couldn't of possibly know how many pages in the document, but it's, I think 24. It's extensive, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, one thing I'd say is that, um, the just following on from your point, um, Sorge, is that um, the party leader is speaking between 6.30 and 7, and then it's over. So maybe the Ardesh, they're given the chance to come up for the day, do oh, the yeah. business and bail. Yeah, um, so you don't have to pay yeah. 400 quid in a hotel nearby. And um, we're joined by our political coverage editor, David Murphy. He's going to be able to explain something most people are scratching their head at, which is what on earth is happening across the border with the British government, with their mini budget announced last Friday, which has basically thrown the financial world into chaos. So the big thing about this is the UK have a fairly significant national debt start with. It's almost the same size as their economy, which is about four, £2,400 billion. So very big amount of money. And then they decided that what they would do is they were going to kickstart the economy, give it a big injection of growth. And this was going to help them get through this energy crisis. So the way in which they said they were going to do this was by cutting taxes. Now, cutting taxes, there's a big science around it. But basically, one of the key things is that when you cut a tax, it effectively means there's less money coming into the public coffers. And so to manage that, you need to get money from elsewhere or you need to say where the money's going to come from. So in Britain, they have a budgetary oversight office. And so when people come along in budgets and they say we're going to cut taxes, the budgetary oversight office looks through this and makes sure makes sure all the numbers stack up. When they did a sort of a mini budget, it didn't really classify as a budget. And so the budgetary oversight office wasn't involved and it didn't run the rule over all the numbers. And what they did was they came out with uncosted tax cuts where people think it'll probably cost them something like 45 billion euro, but they haven't really said where it's going to come from apart from borrowing on the bond market. So the markets took fright at this. They didn't like the look of this at all because they think they've borrowed an awful lot of money in the first place. And so the rate at which they borrow money in the markets went through the roof. So now if they go out and borrow money, they're going to be paying roughly 4.5%. Ireland is paying about 2.5%. Their other problem is that uh, their currency has fallen significantly as a result of all of this concern. And the other problem they have as well is that the Bank of England was doing everything it could to try to cushion people from the effects of the big burst of inflation uh, that Britain and other countries are going through. But the actions of the British government run completely counter to the actions of the Bank of England. So the Bank of England has had to go into the market and take actions to try to calm things down a little bit. Now, they've done it by um, buying bonds, which injects a little bit more money. Well, not a little bit more money, a lot more money into the market. Uh, but their next tool in their toolbox would be to increase interest rates. And you normally do that to shore up a weak currency um, because people invest in currency with high levels of interest rates. So the problem about that is that it would 
have the complete opposite effect of what their mini budget was supposed to do. I suppose one thing when you talk about the um, sterling and the, the UK currency, we also have to reference the fact that because the US Federal Reserve has increased its rates aggressively, it means some money is flowing to the dollar away from sterling. So that's also had a, like a partial impact on the currency as well. Would that be fair? Yeah, that has had a partial impact on the currency. But generally, like money is like water. It kind of flows uh, to the place where it's supposed to. And money always flows to the place where it gets its best return. Um, so what they would do by putting up interest rates is that they would hope money would flow back into sterling and that would help. So the other point that's worth bearing in mind is they were doing all of this to help counteract the effect of inflation. Um, but when your currency falls, it means that the products you're buying in other countries cost more. And when they cost more and you import them, you import inflation with them. And that's a big problem for them because they're a net importer of food. Yeah, I mean, there was two other things which seemed to be jumping out as well. One was mortgages. Mortgages were being pulled that's because right. of what was happening. And the second thing was pensions. Can you tell us about those two things? Well, essentially what happens with mortgages is you uh, the banks would go out and borrow the money in the market and then lend it on to consumers. But if the, if the amount they're borrowing, if the rates they're being charged, start varying all over the shop, it's very difficult for them to do that. So they pause it. The other issue then with pensions is you've got fund managers who are supposed to have a certain amount of money in the pot. But if the money in the pot is tied up in things like bonds and they're falling in value, they need to switch into cash. So <clears throat> it's basically down to one thing, this huge volatility that the Chancellor of the Exchequer has caused effectively by following his instruction that it was given by Liz Truss. Okay, so we have a government which now has to either stick or twist. Um, the Prime Minister was on BBC local radio whole rake of them and saying mm. the same thing. Um, things are difficult. We had to act. I'm prepared to take unpopular decisions and more of the same is coming. So it seems as if they're going to bet against the markets. Um, how does that usually turn out? Really, really badly. So there's a long history of this in Britain where particularly um, John Major uh, tried to take on the markets. And it, the effect of it was uh, sterling was falling. It fell out of the European exchange rate mechanism and they had to increase interest rates three times in one day to prop up sterling. And the Bank of England that day horsed through £90 billion sterling trying to prop up the currency. It doesn't work. You cannot take on the markets. It's like trying to push back an ocean. It never works. So ultimately, that's the type of problem they're facing into. Either they water down their plans or they will have to put up interest rates, I imagine. OK, we've got the fun of the um, Tory party conference. I think it starts on Sunday and really gets underway on Monday. Um, and if that's the case and they continue to do that um, over the next while, it's clearly going to be difficult for them. Um, what does that mean in Irish terms, both financially? Does it have any impact at all because the UK is now out of the European Union? And what about the question of politically? Well, I think politically, and I think my political colleagues here would know way more about this mm. than I would, um, I, I would think politically you've got a difficulty, particularly for the northern parties and um, the DUP. Do they want to continue to deal with a government which some people are suggesting uh, isn't going to last the course? That's the first thing. The other thing, of course, is that the British Labour Party is zooming up on the polls um, because it's seen as more fiscally responsible. People would have thought 
uh, some years back that um, it would be a little bit crazy to suggest that uh, the British Labour Party could be seen as far more fiscally responsible than the Tory party. But going by the actions of the past two weeks, you'd have to say that they're certainly talking more sense economically. Um, what do you think of us? Just watching it from afar. Yeah, it's just it's stunning, really, isn't it? I mean, you know, the government here look fantastic <laughs> compared to what's going on in the UK. But the one question I'd have about it is if you've got a problem with mortgages and stuff, does that mean that, you know, there's going to be a property crash as well then? I think it will cause huge difficulties for um, people trying to enter the mortgage market. And ultimately, if it was to go on over a protracted period, that would undermine um, the property market. But look, you know, it's, it is fundamentally, generally speaking, a strong economy. It's one of the strongest economies mm. um, uh, in this part of the world. And it does have a big financial hub and it has made it through the ups and downs of Brexit. The only thing you would say is if they, they continue on this course of action, they will land themselves in very, very big trouble. What's your sense of it, Michal, a, a political observer from afar? I don't know, but I, I think here there is that sense of, of calm and it is remarkable the difference uh, given that there is a crisis, there is a major cost of living crisis and there are problems with inflation here and yet the amount of money that was available in the budget and the sense of stability and calm around Leinster House in comparison looks yeah. striking. OK, we mentioned the Fianna Fáil Ardesh and we've mentioned January as being when this government is going to be tested. Is there anything between now and then apart from the reshuffle that's um, catching your attention? Well, I think it's the, well, no, I think it's the bills. This is the great big test of the budget and people don't really know what's going to happen because mm -hmm. by and large those big winter or autumn bills haven't arrived yet. They have for businesses and the scale of that did send a shudder across government. But but until the budget is tested, and that could happen in two or three weeks, that's that's the challenge. Your, your sense of it? Yeah, you know, they spent so much money that it's kind of hard to get your head around the changes that it means. You know, I, I heard Colin Brophy, for example, speaking in the Dáil earlier on about the end of hospital charges for everybody. And, you know, you're kind of hearing um, the end of the hospital, you know, the day charge that you have that... I think last year that they had ended it for for children under 16 and now that it's been extended. But do you know that it just takes a while for all the bits to sink in? And I think for people around the country, even hearing Leo Radker talking today about the rent credit, you know, that it's actually for every renter so that if you're sharing a house, everyone, like if there's four or five people. Now, that's my understanding of it. If he I said every renter. There was a question over students. Students who weren't working was one area where there wasn't going to be the credit, but what they were going to allow them to do was obviously their parents would be, if, if they're paying the ones the who are paying for it, yeah. would get €1,000 off irrespective, it's when it goes into next year that there will be this, you have to be earning between 60 and 95 or something. Well, the interesting thing as well is that uh, leading up to the budget, the um, message coming from government was that if they did something for tenants, they'd do something for landlords. They did something for tenants, there wasn't anything there for landlords. Well, so they doubled pre-letting expenses, pre expenses from yes. 5 to 10. But I think I think that that only really works in certain circumstances yeah. because not everybody is going to be taking in a new tenant. And um, yeah. so it's it's much more limited, the benefit for the landlords. And is that at the Fianna Fáil meeting last night, the Taoiseach spoke about the credit being a platform in which uh, further, it seemed to be further increases for, uh, around the rental credit uh, could could continue. So government really have moved on that policy oh, yeah, when know. it comes when it comes to credits, and it's it is despite everything, and then they would deny that, but it does seem to tally more with, with what opposition have been suggesting for for several months now around this intervention to help renters.
I mean, do you think that there's a test there? One would wonder where the government, and I'm not saying this happened, I'm just wondering where they were looking at. We could help the landlords, but really, is that something we want to be seen to be doing in a budget? Because if we're seen to help them too much, then you know exactly what's going to happen from the opposition benches once we head into the Doyle chamber. Yeah, I, I heard Leo Bradgar on one of the radio interviews that he did, and he didn't sound very very um, sympathetic towards a rent uh, landlord who rang up who was giving about out about, you know, that they felt that there hadn't been much done for them in the budget. But um, I have to mention the new children's channel, Oscailga, which is a big thing. Oh, yes. The, yeah, the... Tijukara wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a win jobs. for children. Yeah, well, they, it'll probably be more jobs than that. Like, they're reckoning it could be between two and 300 jobs and they'll be in the independent production sector, which a lot of them based in Gaeltacht areas but a lot of them based all over the country there's massive work in that at the moment in terms of dubbing cartoons into Irish and so on so that's have you done news. Spongebob well, I wish I had I wish I had I'd say it'd be great crack to do it but uh, look uh, I was telling someone the other day I know several people in Gaeltacht areas in fact there's very few of them at this stage that I know who haven't been doing uh, various cartoon characters so it's a bit of fun for Fantastic. people out and there the yeah. newspapers also one got their VAT Zero knocked bad. out as yeah, well so it's great yeah. um, last word to you and the army got money for radar they did armor. we're still waiting for that um, heavy lift long range um, plane could be coming maybe maybe not it did mention aircraft, didn't it? The capital yeah. budget, which is up to 175 million this time. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, no, I think I think the period ahead is is going to be is going yeah. to be really interesting. The bills, the mm. bills. Any last point from you? Yeah, it is going to be very interesting. It's going to take a couple of weeks, I think, for it all to percolate down and for us to realise, for people at home to realise as well. Look, uh, what's what. How are we fixed money-wise? I don't think anybody will be spending too much between now and Christmas and then we'll find out whether we can have a Christmas party or not. There's always a sense around budgets that once the budget has been published and put out there that people kind of forget about it. You do sense that there's going to be such a drop of payments this time. Mm. Will it be slightly different? Will people get things maybe they didn't expect? But equally, will will that be just cancelled out very quickly? That's a possibility too. It is that thing of... um, opening up the envelope and that's going to determine everything whether you think you can manage it or you can't and your reaction to that Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway we shall see how that develops that's all from your politics podcast from RTE News for this particular episode I'd like to thank my guests Michal Lahan and Sarkin Urida and David Murphy as well and please do subscribe please do leave a comment we'd love to hear from you but until next time take care Mm -hmm.